All right, so it was the night before a podcast Wednesday release, and Brad and I are struggling to get something done. So welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want to check out that company, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-host today is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle, and if you want to check out their company, because him and his wife Carrie run one, check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com. In the hoppy compound we have dave slain and dave was just out fishing i guess with brad and he's been hanging out up there spends a lot of time up there in the uh, summertime because it sounds like he does a bunch of fishing down in the florida area during the winter time so he kind of has the best of both worlds i would say so we're going to talk to him for a little bit about um salt versus freshwater fishing and then we're going to talk about august musky uh location and presentation for this episode we don't have a guest because we failed today. It was mostly a struggle. It's been one of those things where, I don't know how it is for you, Brad, but the the days go by so fast, the weeks go by so fast that the podcast thing kind of sneaks up on me. Next thing I know, it's Monday or Tuesday, and we're like, um, we kind of need an episode for this week, so let's try to put something together. Brad scrambled, try to put a guest together. I scrambled and try to put a guest together on very short notice, and if anybody knows anything about the fishing world, that's kind of difficult to do unless you want to podcast at midnight because these guys spend the majority of their time on the water. I actually made Brad get off the water early so that we could fit this in today. So we had something to release uh, this week. So Brad, Dave, enough of me rambling. How are you two doing tonight? We're doing great, Jeff. Um, We kind of struggled on the water today, but we had a good day on the water. It was fun. Uh, I think if we would have been able to stay out maybe another hour, we probably would have got it done. But you hindered that. Yeah, sorry. Bummer. I'm, I, I actually gave you the opportunity to push a little later, Brad. I said, whatever works, we kind of just need to get something done for this week. So you could have told me, hey, man, I'm trying to catch muskies. You know, we're going to have to do this one a little bit later. And I would have I would have probably whined and cried like a little girl, but I would have done it. I hear you, Jeff. You know, it's just, it's that time of the year. You know, last year we pushed it and we did a bunch of recordings late at night, multiple recordings on a couple of those nights. But, you know, here we are. We're doing it again. Unfortunately, um, I made a bunch of different phone calls and, and text messages today, and we didn't get any uh, of the guests that we were thinking about doing. But uh, we just need to plan a little bit better and, and make that happen. But we got Big Dave Slane here with us. He's a great guy. He does a ton of fishing and has for many, many years. And uh, he's got a ton of experience, so I think we can probably pull a couple things out of him as well. That sounds really good. Thank you, you, Brad. I appreciate you saying that. Isn't that nice of you? Well, Dave, it sounds like like you've been catching some fish. Either that or you were lying to me and telling me you were catching fish and you got some sort of shoulder issues or something going on over there. Why don't you talk a little bit about how, how your season's gone so far? Sure, it's been a pretty good season. Um, it's been pretty steady. I think, uh, let's see, I've already had uh, four or five fifties in the boat so far, and I was lucky enough to go out fishing with Brad and Carrie. I'm going to think a month ago, maybe three weeks ago, and I even got my personal best was just a really fat 54. So um, I think we've got, uh, let's see, we went out two days ago or yesterday, and we got two other personal bests uh, in one day. Uh, for people that was uh, fishing with Brad and I. So it's been actually a really good summer full of fun. Um, that doesn't mean it hasn't been, you know, without its challenges. I mean, you know, weather and all that. But it's been a lot of fun this year. 
I think I heard something about that 54, didn't I, Brad? Yeah, you might have seen something. I, you know, I posted a, a picture, basically, of the tail on the board. So, on the old musky bumper. But uh, other than that, I haven't really said much. So, you know, it'll all come together later this year. It's kind of a busy time of the year for me, as you know, as well as it is for you and everybody else that's out on the water. But uh, at some point, you know, this fall or midwinter, something like that, I'll definitely post out some more pictures. Did you happen to have any cameras running when you guys caught that one? No, actually, we didn't. I think, I think if I remember right, Dave and I were fishing a different body of water, and then uh, we came back this direction to pick up Carrie, and we ended up on the lake, and we just kind of put it together real quick that evening. So turned out cool, super, super beautiful fish, great fight, but no, no camera on that one. Something pretty special, though, to be with Brad and Carrie and get your personal best. It was a very special moment indeed. Someday maybe I'll be there, Brad, when I can finally get a 50. I'm still searching. Unfortunately, I haven't, made, I, hear I haven't made too many trips across the border yet this year. I've made zero trips across the border, actually. I haven't left Wisconsin. That was by that was by de- design, though. I mean, I had, I had planned that out a while in advance. You kind of know what's going on with me and, and uh, you know, stuff with my dad. So that's that was the plans there. No, I, I know that, Jeff, and I, you know, I'm looking forward to better times where maybe we can, uh, we can actually share the boat again. You know, last year was a ton of fun when you were here for a couple of days. We'll do it again. Don't worry about that. Whenever you're ready. Well, 2020 will be a blip on the radar. I hope soon enough. And and uh, I mean, for multiple reasons, not just the ones that everybody's thinking. You know, 2020 will be over, and and uh, you know, we'll look back and and we'll be able to get back to you know, doing what we did last year and coming out and playing around there. And I'm looking forward to getting back over to Minnesota. Certainly a special place to, to be fishing. You know, I should be actually fishing Green Bay right now since it's, I mean, from what I understand, it's going pretty decent. I'm sure you've probably heard or seen pictures of guys that are catching muskies. It's starting to, starting to heat up out there a little bit, I think. Yeah, you know, Jeff, it's pretty incredible. We've had uh, we've had our moments with this heat, you know, and the water temps being way up too high to actually fish. And actually, last Thursday, I mean, uh, we pulled off the lake. You know, we were 77, 78 degrees, and by the time we pulled off, it was 80. You know, I'm just like, man, oh man, it just won't quit. So I took a break Thursday evening, uh, Friday, actually even. Saturday, but this new cold front that just came in, it kind of dropped the water back down to 76 to 77, depending on the body of water that you're on. So it's been a challenge, you know, throughout this whole July, actually. It's, it's kind of bizarre to think. Usually you would see this right about where we are right now, this time of the year, where the beginning of August, you start seeing some of those higher water temps. But we've had some cold fronts when we needed them. And I would definitely think that uh, a large part of the pictures that are being shown out there and the big fish that are gone definitely kind of comes with that cold front state, uh, scenario. Well, from, you know, the reports that I've heard from today, there's, you know, with this cold front, it's actually brought, you know, brought on a, a flurry of activity. So I heard the guys have been on the water today and even yesterday. Uh, yeah, yesterday, they've all been doing pretty good. So I'm anxious to finally get out. One of these days, I'm still trying to gather parts. I think I've talked to you a little bit about it, Brad. I'm hoping to get that panoptic set up and play around with that a little bit uh, at some point yet this summer and early in the fall. I just, 
you know, you know what it is. There's so many parts and pieces that you need to acquire in order to get that thing to work out the way you want it to. It's not like a regular typical fish locator where you mount the transducer on the back of the boat and you're set to go. So I hope all the parts will be here in the next week or so, so I can start playing around with that a little bit too. And just in time, I mean, the the weather's getting perfect for chasing muskies. And as far as workload goes, I should be able to get out and, and do a little bit of musky fishing. Although, I mean, I hope that we keep selling baits and keeps me in the shop a little bit for a little while longer. Cause as hard as it is to believe, I mean, the, the season honestly is, I mean, we're still not even at the halfway point, I guess, but it's going to be over before you know it, especially like the, uh, bait buying selling season, you know? Yeah. Just think about it. It's August already. And, uh, it, it, it feels like you just blinked. Right. And, but I'm excited right now. I mean, Jeff, from my standpoint, you talked about some of the, the latest reports. There's uh, the weather this this week in uh, Minnesota, at least in northern Minnesota, is going to be almost 68 as the high, as the high. See, cold fronts in Minnesota get me pumped up and get me excited because these fish love to move shallow, and the big girls love to move shallow with speed. So it's one of those things that I think is going to be a great trigger for a lot of fishermen coming up here in, in the next day week of uh, being able to go and put a lot of nice fish in the boat with this cold front coming in minnesota wisconsin i think it's going to help a lot of times cold fronts shut wisconsin down really bad for two three days but i think with these warm water temperatures i think these fish are ready for some cooler water now that severe of a cold front may shut wisconsin down for a while but i think minnesota is just going to go crazy well, so let's talk a little bit about that since you kind of talked about fish location a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about that. We'll go into August a little bit and then we can circle back a little bit more about you. So, you know, typically this time of year, I would say most guys are probably still working weed edges and I would say that's probably still going to be the case, but what is it you guys are going to be looking for over there in Minnesota? I mean, is it this point where you're going to start moving up over the tops of weeds again and getting off those edges a little bit more? Is that sort of what your plan is over there? I would definitely check. I would still work weed edges, but I would definitely work into whatever my milk run is. I would work into some shallower parts and not be afraid to be in two foot to eight foot of inside weed edges, uh, little, say, two foot sand drops that go to weed edges, uh, anything like that, or tops of bars. So say you fish a bar all the way around it and the normal weed edge is around 17 feet and that bar comes up. Uh, into about, say, eight feet on top or six foot on top, and it's a little bit bald. I wouldn't be afraid to go fish that edge either. Um, they tend, they can tend to move up to any of that. It's just a matter of, I would say, anywhere eight feet or less, these fish love to move super shallow. And, then, and in fact, some places like um, over really far west, uh, these guys will go into two-foot sand and just sit. And it's almost like the old Malax days where we'll just sit there and waiting and, and you go and burn a small bucktail through there and you got 50s coming up trying to crush it. Um, so it, I think in Minnesota for the next two, three days, uh, the shallow bite should be better than the weed edge bite, but that's not always necessarily true. I just would make sure you milk, you put them in your milk run so you're ready for it. I know Brad is a bucktail manufacturer. This is a time of year that you love or you have to love because I mean, a bucktail should obviously at this point of the season be, if you have multiple guys in the boat, somebody in this, it should be throwing a bucktail because right now bucktails and topwater are probably going to be, you know, your baits of choice. I don't know how, I mean, I don't hear a lot about topwater fish over there in Minnesota. I'm sure they hit them. It sounds like it's more of a bucktail thing, but in Wisconsin, definitely a topwater deal. 
So, Brad, I'm assuming uh, it's going to be a double cowgirl for you, slow rolled out of the back of the boat. That's pretty much your style, right? Well, it, it really is, especially when I'm on the deeper weed lines. But, you know, it's, it's amazing when you start seeing the fish shallower like Dave's talking about. I will sometimes downsize just to get a little bit more speed, put a little more heat on those baits. So, and it's definitely bucktail season. I mean, it, it's been hot. So, definitely something to think about. It's one time of the year when I see a massive cold front, and this is generally at the end of August. Um, but, you know, hey, we'll give us, we'll take what uh, Mother Nature gives us and let's make it work for us. So, as these water temps kind of continue to creep down, I might downsize and go a little bit shallower. So we're going to look at some rabbit squirrels. We're going to look at single-bladed and double-bladed. We're going to think about the single-bladed just when we really, really want to burn. You know, it definitely is easier to turn one blade than two. The other one is a single girl. You know, definitely seen a huge upswing on that in the last couple of years playing with it. So those are some of the other go-tos that I'm going to use. But uh, don't be afraid to downsize when you have these initial cold fronts. I will say that. Well, I know, like David mentioned, you know, about that shallow migration, then you just mentioned it too, how it's a little bit early. That's kind of what I was thinking. Typically this time of year, it's not this way. Obviously weather can dictate this. I mean, in a, in a week, I mean, it still is August and we can get hot weather in August and, and I'm sure we'll get some, so it'll definitely change it up. So I'm, you know, a lot of those fish will make that migration in right now, shallow, but they'll also, if the, if the temperatures warm up, I'm sure much I've seen it and I'm sure you've seen it too. Those fish will push back out before eventually they end up shallow for a lot longer period of time, typically towards, like you said, initially towards the end of the month is when, like the end of August, early part of September, for me, my boat probably doesn't leave much over eight feet of eight feet of water. I mean, that's just typically I'm fishing shallow weeds the entire time and, you know, bucktails, top waters, bulldogs, diving rise, suix baits, you know, that kind of stuff are all things that I'm throwing. I would imagine, you know, you guys probably see a similar progression. Hands down, Jeff, we really do. You know, you mentioned topwaters, too, and you can't forget about them in your arsenal. But, you know, at the same time, generally speaking, the month of August isn't really my topwater go-to. But uh, it definitely will be in September. But uh, you can't rule it out when you have a big temperature swing like what we're seeing right now. Jeff, and I think the other thing you brought up that's a really good point is is this particular shallow move is short-lived. Um, and, unless there's a lot of cold fronts coming up right after, which I don't think there is. Um, I would say when you have cold fronts like this that aren't that main, you know, end of August, early September move, from the coldest night, you got about 48 hours. And that's about it for the shallow bite. And then they're going to move back out. Um, and they're going to move back to that edge or uh, into that deep water structure or whatever they're going to do. Uh, they'll move back out. Your time is very limited for that shallow water bite unlike in the end of August, early September, where they can stay shallow for quite some time. Um, the other one I want to bring up, too, is on top water. Um, I always find on cold fronts, on the worst days of the cold fronts, that the biggest fish seems to always be moved on top water. And I don't know why that is, um, but it's something that I have had a lot of experience in, in Minnesota lakes, that big fish tend to move on top water. Someone's going to outfish you with a bucktail, but I've always ended up with a bigger fish with top water. Like I said, I know the Minnesota fish eat top water, but I always hear, it just seems like synonymous in my head, Minnesota muskies with cowgirls. And I think it probably comes back to the Mille Lacs stuff, Brad, from when, you know, way back in the day, even you, Dave, I'm sure you saw it. You've been hanging out with Brad for long enough. 
you know, those, you know, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Minnesota muskies eat cowgirls. So I always think that, you know, Minnesota people aren't even never throwing, you know, they're never throwing the topwater baits. They're always just throwing cowgirls because they seem to, they always ate them. I don't even know what to say after that. <laughs> I don't want it to be an info commercial. <laughs> well, I agree with Jeff, though. They do love them. So uh, depending upon the size, and like right now, I mean, for me, you know, the supermodels and the rabbit squirrels are the two that, you know, I love to throw the most. But, uh, you know, the one thing about Minnesota muskies for sure is they like all different types of baits, and I would never, ever eliminate top water out of a cold front, um, even, even though my go-to will be bucktails. Brad, you're just being modest. You don't want people to, you know, know about the, or not know about it. You just don't want to pimp your own product. I mean, you should do it. You know, Minnesota muskies, I guess it's a, like, it's a yin-yang thing. Minnesota muskies put, put uh, the cowgirl on the map, but the cowgirl also seemed to put the Minnesota muskies on the map. Is that right? Yeah, there's some similarities there, yeah. I mean, so I guess I mean, we can't argue with, with results, Brad. So, I mean, it's, it sounds infomercially, but it's, it's true. I mean... You know, for a lot of people that are newer to the sport, they might not realize how how revolutionary that bait was. You know, I mean, I don't know how long you've been doing it, Brad. Fifteen years? How how it was fifteen years ago? Yeah, it's been fifteen years since we became an official company. You know, we we started playing around seventeen years ago with different baits, and you know, there's a lot of neat things that happen along the way. And definitely, uh, you know, we're kind of the originators of the big bladed baits as well as the flash ubu. So, you know, it's, it's a unique deal. And, and over the years, we've, we've made some changes and did some different things. We're working on new stuff. We're very proud of what we've done. We're super happy to have the following that we have and the customers that definitely support us with this. You know, being the original is a big thing and there's a lot of versions out there and copies or whatever you want to say, but you know, the original sometimes wins when it comes to it. Really? I don't know how else to say it. You know, Jeff, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on a lot of this is I don't think in my lifetime, there has been a bait that has had a bigger impact than what the cowgirl has had on the success of musky fishermen and the change it brought. Um, and I've been fishing for, I don't know how many, it's well into the 20 some years, maybe even 30. I don't know. I don't want to count that high. And, and there's been nothing that has had an impact like that. So I, I agree a hundred percent with you on that. I mean, even if you look at the impact on the fish themselves, but like the impact on gear, you know, we used to never have the, the reels that we have now until that bait develop, you know, came about. And that was brought upon by you know, consumer demand because everybody was blowing up their, their reels, trying to reel these double tens in, you know, the tranks 500, although I don't, I mean, I don't want to say that it was necessarily strictly off the cowgirl, but it was definitely designed for that use, you know? That's very true. I, I agree with you a hundred percent on that, on the impact that it has had on the reels, on the equipment, even on the rods. Um, I mean, even think about it. I mean, when you first, started fishing a cowgirl i still remember having a conversation because i was just fishing normal and then someone said burn it i'm like you want to do what because i he didn't really have the gear to try and burn it at that time without it being all muscle and 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 then hurting your arms and you didn't really have the right the, the right rods the right equipment uh, you know all that had to evolve along with you know the introduction of the lures and the impact that it had absolutely 
So we'll let's shrink Brad's head down a little bit. We'll change uh we'll change gears. Or actually maybe not even shrink his head down because you know, one thing about Brad is he's like the least ego guy that I know as far as, you know, for what they've done in the musky world. But I I'm sure he's getting embarrassed now because he doesn't like this either. But uh let's talk a little bit about night fishing for, for August. Dave, how how much time do you spend out night fishing? I know I cut you guys short tonight and obviously you would have spent a little bit of time in there. But is for for guys that are looking to get out, is August a good month in your opinion for night fishing? Absolutely, Jeff. I know you asked Dave the question. I'm going to let him talk here in a second. But Dave doesn't like bugs, so it's a huge problem for Dave. So we'll let him talk about this because he's done a lot of night fishing. But one thing Dave does not like is bugs. Well, me and Dave would get along then. Oh, well, I have to admit this before I give uh, any comments on it. My night fishing days are really numbered now. However, with that being said, I would fish um, till 2, 3, 4 in the morning um, quite often. Back when I fished uh, a lot harder than what I do today. Um, And, you know, when August came along, you know, it really became... If a day bite wasn't going on, it definitely was happening at night. Um, and the pressure that back in the Malax days that was there, I mean, you would even see more boats out at night than you would even during the day. But it, it really, be, you know, it depends on the body of water that you're on about night fishing. And my answer would be is if it's a heavily pressured lake with uh, musky fishermen, uh, oftentimes night fishing is better. And the other one I would say is if it's heavily pressured from recreational traffic, oftentimes night fishing is better. Um, now, I say oftentimes because there's been times on, like, Fox Lake in uh, in Illinois where that has been good uh, in the middle of the day and you throw right behind a speedboat and catch muskie in the wake. Now, does that happen all the time? No. but there, So I would really look at, all right, spend some time during day, the day, and if nothing happens, you know, maybe concentrate more at night. Um, but a lot of that has to do with the body of water and where you're at. But for me, if I have to fish into the night, I'll still do it. Brad made me fish last year till about 2 a.m. one time. And I can tell you this, I do not like about 45 minutes of it. And when those little white bugs crawl on your skin and it feels like a worm, it's, it's just not really a lot of fun for me for that 45 minutes until they go away. So, I mean, Brad is used to me whining and not wanting to stay out, but he still makes me stay out, and, and then I have to then fish. That's typically how it goes. Time to suck it up. <laughs> I'm with Dave. I'm not a really big fan of night fishing for that reason. If I can get past that, like he said, that 45 minutes where the bugs are just horrible, then I can keep going, but... Sometimes I'm just like, nope, I'm eating these things. They're in my mouth. I can't handle it. I'm out of here. And uh, I'll go back and, and hang out. Otherwise, I mean, I've done it too. Or I don't know if it's the best option, but I've also trolled at night a little bit just for that first little while. So I'm constantly moving so they just can't sit on me because it's that's no fun. never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, so I've played that game a little bit. I'm not saying it works that great, but I've played it just because, yeah, I just, I'm with Dave. I'm not a bug guy. I can't handle it. I just don't like that feeling. But anyways, so I know we've talked about it, Brad, on past podcasts. Why don't you two, since you guys have a lot more night experience than I do, mostly because I just can't stand it, what should people be throwing if they're looking to do a little bit of night fishing right now, Brad and Dave? Now you're putting me on the spot again. So it wasn't supposed to be an info commercial. Now now we're going to talk cowgirls. 
Well, definitely probably the well, number on. one bait. Time out, time out a second, Brad. So when it gets when it gets time to be October and we're going to talk October musky fishing, well, I mean, you're probably still throwing them in October, but the majority of the musky anglers, I think we can all agree, are not throwing bucktails in October. And that might be to their own, you know, that might be a detriment. They might miss fish because of it. But I'll say that, you know, when we get to October, Brad, and we don't talk about bucktails, then it's okay. August, I mean, it's almost impossible not to talk about bucktails in August muskies. Same thing with, you know, depending on how the weather changes out in September, it'd be the same kind of deal there. You're, you're gonna like, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage if you're not, if somebody in the boat is not throwing a bucktail to at least see what the pattern is for sure. Because I mean, this is the time of year that bucktails are probably one of the most effective tools you can have. So I'll let you, I'll let you speak, but that's why we're having an infomercial on bucktail. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your brand. We're talking your brand because you make it and you know, you're on the podcast. So that's why we talk about your brand. But I mean, there's certainly other brands that people could, could throw. They don't necessarily have to throw a cowgirl, but obviously you would prefer it. Well, hands down, we prefer it. But, uh, and you know, there, you could argue a bunch about this, but hands down, in my opinion, and it's not because I own the company and, and we make this and sell it, whatever else, but hands down, the double cowgirl is probably the best night bait ever created. It's just so capable of doing what it needs to do after dark. And what I mean by that is, is with those 10 blades, you can really slow things down. It's important to slow things down after dark. Now, I say that, and somebody will say, well, no, you can burn things after dark. You're right, you can. But generally speaking, if you're, especially if you're fishing in like a thicker weed bed or something like that, where you're trying to call fish from a distance, slower is better. It's it, like you stumbling your way to the bathroom in the middle of the night in the pitch black. Guess what? You got to kind of feel your way out. You know, you got to see, oh, there's the doorway. Okay, I'm going to go into the bathroom now. It's no different. You definitely need to slow things down so that it gives the fish time to actually locate that bait. Now, I said the cowgirl. The secondly, I would say the supermodel, and there's a ton of different people that would argue the supermodel outshines the cowgirl after dark. Me, personally, I'm still a cowgirl guy. It's a bigger profile bait, bigger blades, and it allows me to hang it right in their face, basically, all the way back to the boat. I'm going to expand a little bit on that, Brad, on, on what you talked about slowing down. It really depends upon where you are and how fast you have to reel. It's about the speed to, is dictated by the weed edge you're fishing. So you want to be ticking the tops of those weeds right at the edge. You want to be that in that way that you actually feel them. Now, not on every cast, but on most casts, you want to be reeling fast enough to be doing that. In some lakes, it's going to be relatively quick. On other lakes, it's going to be relatively slow. Um, and that would be your number one rule over anything of how you want to fish at night. The second thing I would say, the other major influence is the moon. If the moon is really bright, a lot of times speed can actually trigger hits rather than follows. So if the moon's really bright and you're taking the weeds and nothing's really happening, having someone in that boat pick up speed and actually burn it at night can work and has worked many times on uh, night fishing. So that would be the only third part that I would expand on what Brad was saying. Well, I can go from there. What Dave just talked about, he's right. And one of the neat things about what he was just talking about, if you look at the moon and the moon is a little bit brighter, 
or maybe it's not the moon. Maybe maybe you've got just a little crescent and it's barely providing any light. One of the things to consider, um, if you have a bunch of light pollution, whether that be from the shoreline or whatever it might be, think about colors. You know, everybody thinks black, black nickel, black, black, after dark, you want a silhouette bait. But if you have light pollution of any sort, definitely expand your horizons and start throwing some pinks, some chartreuses. They stand out really, really well in a light polluted area. So those are some things to think about as well. So question for both of you again, if you two are going out musky fishing at night, do you prefer a new moon or a full moon in an instance of, you know, one of the two, what would you prefer? I always like new moon best. That, that's my whole gig. But, you know, and the other thing is, is, you know, tomorrow's full moon, I, Tuesday, I believe is full moon. I think this is Monday, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, um, tomorrow is new uh, full moon. I would uh, say that you're two to three days before the moon and two to three days after the moon are my fishing days. The day of new moon or full moon generally isn't my best day. That's just me. I agree with that 100%. New moon is by far better than full moon um, in general for wherever I'm fishing. I, I'd agree with that. Hmm. So day, night, doesn't really matter. You'd rather see a new moon than a full moon. 100% yes. It doesn't matter if I'm down in Florida fishing salt or if I'm up here. I am much more excited about a new moon than I am about a full moon. It's good to know. I'll have to, I'll have to mark that down. I'm pretty much one of those guys like, you know, we, we've had it before, Brad. Remember, we are having people want a weekend warrior talk. Well, that would still be me. I'm that guy. So I've got to take whatever I can get in most cases. So since I'm not on the water every day. But I'll have to, um, in about two weeks, then I'm assuming we're going to have ourselves a new moon. So I should probably see what I can do about making sure that I, I get out on the water. Hopefully I have my electronics and everything all rigged up and I can actually uh, get out for a couple of days and go chase some fish. Well, it's really interesting. Today in the boat with Dave, you know, I think Dave touched on it earlier. We got four fish yesterday. Okay, so we were two days before full moon. Today we go out. We struggled pretty bad. I mean, we, we played with some fish, but they just didn't want to cooperate, not whatsoever. So, you know, I, I thought we had some close calls, but it just didn't happen. And I went, are we wrong? Is it full moon today? So I looked, and it was 99% today. So I went to the next day, which is Tuesday, and sure enough, Tuesday is actual full moon. And I'm like, man, I would have swore it was the true full moon today, just the way the fish were acting. I mean, that's how important it is to me. Yeah, that's some crazy stuff, the way that, the way that plays out for you. I know you got some kind of unique, int interesting things going on over there. You talk about certain bite windows that we've had on this podcast, and now you're talking about, you know, I, I would say that's kind of, I don't want to say it's off of what the common normal person would think, but I would imagine your average angler would think, I need to be out there the day of the full moon. The full moon is going to be the best day or, or the new moon or whatever is going to be the best day. And so you're trying to say that you should be, you know, a couple days away from that is actually better. And that's interesting. That's a good point that uh, I don't know that we've ever brought up on this podcast. Yeah, that's quite possible we haven't, Jeff. But you know what's so unique about this? So if you have a network of people that you work with and, and you're communicating with on a daily basis, you know, as an example today, I got a text from John Holmgren 
he basically, he just put a fish in the boat, right? So he's all the way up on Vermilion. We're down here in western Minnesota. And guess what? That was when our most activity was, right around 3 o'clock today. And that would be after the major, which, you know, we were thinking throughout that major, all right, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Well, guess what? The fish have a mine of their own. And 3 o'clock was kind of the prime time of the day for us. And all of a sudden, I get my network shows up with uh, some pictures of fish. So things to consider. You you can't always go by all of that. I know a lot of people plan their whole days with the minors and the majors and moon, you know, whatever it might be. But sometimes those windows are at different times. And if you have that network, it definitely helps. Well, I think we've said it before. You can use the moon to put the odds in your favor, but that doesn't necessarily mean, like you said, that the muskies read the chart. So if you have the opportunity to grind all day long, you're putting your odds in your favor. Time on the water is going to put the odds in your favor if you grind all day versus go, okay, well, the moon was, you know, whatever. The major was, we'll say, in the morning. So you're like, okay, we'll go fish the major, and then we'll go in and we'll take a break, even though it's great to do years sometimes you don't know for sure if that window is going to open up when you're off the water so i mean obviously you know odds are in your favor time on the water we talk about it all the time brad so you know like you said today or whatever if you had been grinding or not been grinding you'd said oh well whatever we'll come back out and we'll hit we'll hit the night bite you may have missed that three o'clock in the afternoon window so it's it it's in your favor obviously to spend as much time on the water as you can and obviously i understand it i mean we've done it before i'll get up in the morning and i'll grind and then you know, five, six hours later, I'll come in, get something to eat, head back out when I have the opportunity up when I'm up north. But there's other times where I go fishing with some of my guide buddies and we spend 15 hours on the water and we generally have, you know, success at some point and it's not always moon related or major minor related. So, you know, just, I guess, I guess the moral of the story is if, if you can spend more time on the water, it's always going to help you uh, either put the pattern together or, or learn a little bit more. I agree a hundred percent time on the water is key, but you touched on a couple of things that I think are really, uh, was, you know, I'm, I'm going to call it since we were in this infomercial thing, write this down moment, um, you know, of, of a tip for someone to write down to, to really remember. I think one of the most overlooked things are making sure you're looking at what time your fish is act was active or caught. And what I mean by that is people will go and take naps outside of the major or minor. Um, but I can I can't tell you how many times I've been out on a fishing trip, and it's been two o'clock in the afternoon that all the muskies would move, and then they wouldn't move any other time during the day, and it's just two o'clock. And I, why is that? I have no clue. But if I was napping during two o'clock, as the major ended at eleven a.m., and I didn't go back out till three because that started the minor, I would never catch a fish. Um, so what big tip I always would tell people is when you have those act, strong active follows and or catch a fish, make sure you know what time it is. Because oftentimes, if it's not through a major and those majors or minors aren't working, they're going to reproduce at that same time for one, two, maybe even three weeks straight uh, before it changes. Pay attention to the idiosyncrasies. That's, that's the biggest thing. I, I've always talked about this. I think we started this the very first podcast, second podcast, whatever. It's a giant puzzle and start with one piece and start putting it all together. I couldn't agree with you more. All right, guys. Well, I think we got 
summer muskies covered as far as location, night fishing, moon phases, all the different aspects. You know, with Dave and his uh, saltwater background, let's talk a little bit about that. So why don't we uh, why don't we go down that road? It's really interesting to me, Jeff, and I I have caught a tarpon, but not the traditional method, if you will. So you know, the neat thing about different people that I know that fish tarpon. <laughs> they're kind of addicted to muskies and muskies go back to tarpon and vice versa. So, you know, I'm going to let Dave just kind of expel whatever he wants to talk about there, because I think it's a really cool comparison between the two fish. Um, yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because when you look at salt versus fresh, they're not the same at all. There, there's so many things that are so different that I can't even say that they're the same. But in particular, if we're talking about tarpon versus muskie, the, the similarity is the dedication. You have to be able to be very dedicated to go out and catch them. Uh, like one big difference that I'll, I'll talk about is on those days where you're out there and you're sweating so bad because there's not any wind and it's so hot, you, can't, you can barely breathe because it's humid. Those are the best tarpon days. So the worst musky days are the best tarpon days, as opposed to, say, a front comes through and all of a sudden the muskies go crazy. Good luck finding a tarpon. Um, so it's, it's other similarities besides the differences are is equipment. Um, the equipment's the same. Um, in fact, I actually use lighter equipment uh, in a lot of cases uh, catching tarpon than I do in catching muskies. I use 50-pound Power Pro with 80-pound fluorocarbon, excuse me. Um, and that's what I use for tarpon fishing. I'm catching, you know, between 80 to, say, 180 to 200-pound tarpon on those. Um, as opposed to I have 80-pound tests on my musky stuff, and I'm probably 150-pound, you know, wire um, to the leader that I'm using. So it actually is lighter. Uh, the fights are completely different where you look at a tarpon fight. You know, most people are landing a tarpon within about 45 minutes, even though some take longer. Um, and a muskies, you know, I don't think much of them last much longer than between one and two minutes. Um, and some even faster than that. Um, but I would say the biggest similarity between the two is that hunt. You have to go on a hunt for both of them. And one of the things I think I'm going to say that may sound crazy is once you find tarpon, they're easier to catch, even though I shouldn't be using that word, than muskie. When you find muskie, it's still a challenge to catch muskie. When you find tarpon, I think they're easier to catch multiple numbers of tarpon as compared to the muskie part. So those are just some of the differences. Does that kind of answer what you were looking for, Brad? Yeah, hands down. I mean, the neat thing that I see with tarpon versus muskies is the equipment side of it. And I, I think that they go hand in hand in a lot of ways, whether it be a rod or a reel, possibly even some baits in that in that atmosphere as well. So I, I really think it's, it's a cool deal. It really is. And I, I need to get down there with Dave, honestly, and, and make some of that happen. I hope you do. It's a lot of fun down there. Um, they're a blast. There's certain months that are better than others. There's, uh, uh, for people who want to, to be guided, there's all kinds of guides out there you can get a hold of. I know John Siebold, uh, SFT Outfitters, is uh, the guy I would recommend. Um, and outside of him, I, I would say the next best one to contact is probably Jason Hammernick. 
of the two that are the leader, but I would, um, John is the guy who actually taught me, a guy named uh, John Siebold and Todd Hadley um, are the two that taught me all about tarpon fishing. And John actually, I think, was on the podcast and came from the musky world up here in Minnesota before he you know, dedicated his life to, to tarpon. It seems like a lot of those guys that go that are musky guys that go south to chase tarpon, they don't ever want to come back to chase muskies again. Something about the the weather, no ice or snow to deal with. You know, I know I don't think Hammernick really wants to come back that much, does he, Brad? Yeah, it's funny how that kind of it, it ruins you. And I, I don't even know if it's about the weather as much as it is about the number of fish that you get to play with and some of the different things that you can do on the salt. The salt will ruin any freshwater fisherman. I don't care if they're a musky fisherman or not. It just, it's a whole different world. Stronger, crazier fish. I, I, that's the biggest part in my mind. I mean, how many times are you out fishing and you think you're going to go for a tarp and then all of a sudden you've got a nine-foot bull shark you're trying to reel in? Or as you reel in, uh, you know, say you're reeling a catfish, a bull shark comes and tries to eat the catfish or tries to eat the tarpon or does eat the tarpon. Uh, and that's 12 to 14 foot bull shark coming out there. Or, you know, how many times do you go out in the freshwater and here comes a manatee right at your boat and just laying and is now itching his nose at the prop. You know, there's just so many things that can happen out of salt that have, that just, you don't know what every day is going to bring. It's a lot different than what freshwater is. With that said, with that being said that it ruins you, I still love musky fishing and I still love the hunt. Um, I would say I'm just not as, I'm going to use a carry word. I'm just not as mad at them anymore. And I'm not willing to go and, you know, that those 14 hour days any longer. And, you know, simply because I'm hoping that I get them in the, you know, the eight hours I want to put in or the six hours I have to put in that day. And I'm actually do that for salt too, where oftentimes the fish bite during a certain part of the tide. So I'll just go out during that certain part of the tide, catch a few tarpon, and come back in and finish up my day with whatever I have going on with work or friends. And that's just my way of looking at fishing now. Is just so much more of it just being enjoyable rather than having to work at it for 14, 16 hours every single day. Well, you know, like we talk about the time on the water thing. I mean, if there's certain people that they enjoy just going out, chasing a muskie down in the morning, and then they want to take a break during the day. They may have missed out on an opportunity during the middle of the day, but hey, that's, you know, to each their own. Like you said, some people just aren't that mad at them anymore, and it's, it's okay. I, I'm guilty of it occasionally. There's times that I grind all day, but there's also times that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go in and hang out, relax a little bit, take a nap so that I can enjoy the evening a little bit more. I'll be a little more fresh, and we catch them, we catch them. If we don't, we don't. It's just... You know, different a different way to look at it too, I guess. So you know, not everybody has to grind for sixteen hours to be hardcore. Some people just, you know, they're just fine with being outdoors yet. You know, like th- that's that's the experience to them. As I've always said, Jeff, you can't catch them from the couch. <laughs> yeah, but I agree with Jeff on this one. If you want to be a grinder, be a grinder, and that's what you love. If you want to be someone that just takes and fishes during ideal times and moments for yourself, and that's what you love, do that. Do what you love, because that's what fishing is all about. Hands down, it's supposed to be fun. And I think a lot of times people, they get so worked up about this whole sport, whether it be in the salt or it be in in the musky water, I don't care if it's bluegills. Whether you're, it's supposed to be fun, people. Have fun on the water. That's what it's really, truly about. 
and it's about time with your family and whatever else. So don't get confused there. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to have to agree with Dave, you know, like he's, like you said, you can't catch him from the couch. You can't, but it's different for, you know, the, the experience to being out there in the water, the fishing experience, whether it be chasing muskies or whatever else you're chasing down is different for every person. Every person gets something different out of it. You know, I know my dad, when, when we go fishing, I don't even think he cares if he catches a fish at all. He's just happy to be out there in the lake looking at the birds, the eagles, the trees, the whatever, you know? So it's, uh, it's different for every single person, what they want to get out of it. And, you know, we obviously, you know, talk about ways to help people catch more fish. Certainly going to help more catch, help you catch fish more if you're grinding on the water for 15, 16 hours a day. That's going to help. That's going to put the odds in your favor. That's not for everybody. So Brad, me and Dave, when we go fishing together, we're going to go and we're going to take that, that nap at noon and you can stay on the water and hopefully you, hopefully you got something to report. So the next day, Dave and I will stay out then on the water during that two o'clock time period. I'll be working on my tan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Well guys, I think we covered some good tips on August muskies. Hopefully it gets guys started, uh, whether it be this weekend or next weekend or whenever they got a chance to get out, you know, certainly, uh, I would say consider Dave's advice. And if you're getting out here soon, shortly after that cold front, you know, check the shallow water, maybe even check it for, you know, a little while, every single weekend that you're out this, this month, cause this month is certainly a transition month. You know, by the time we get to the end of August and into early September, like Dave had alluded to earlier, those fish are going to be up shallow for a longer period of time. Whereas now they might be in or out depending upon what the weather's doing. So certainly check that. But anyways, I just want to thank Dave and Brad again for spending some time talking muskies with me, Dave. I, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, making Brad get off the water tonight so that we could, we could get a podcast out this week. So I, you know, thanks for coming out. You know, it was really tough dragging them off. Um, but I did, I got them there. Um, I held him accountable and brought him up, brought him off the water and got in my truck, got here and uh, was lucky enough to be honored to be asked to be honest with you two. And I want to thank Jeff, you for um, everything and Brad for everything. And it's just, uh, you guys put out a great product. And when I'm in Florida, I really enjoy listening to this every Wednesday and uh, it's really an honor to be a part of it. Thank you. Well, that's humbling, but I mean, like I said, we we try to do our best. We've said it before. You know, we appreciate everybody listening. Hopefully, we bring some value to you every single week. Uh, Some episodes are longer and better. Other ones are a little bit shorter and, you know, maybe a a little lesser, but uh, we certainly try to, you know, get get some information out every week where people can catch more fish. So, you know, thanks, Dave, for listening in your off time. We thank you for coming on, and we thank all of our listeners for downloading every single Wednesday or Thursday or Friday whenever they listen. I got a a message from a vendor earlier this weekend, and he said, hey, I was listening to your podcast on Saturday in the boat. So, we, you know, we know guys listen kind of all over and everywhere. And, uh, you know, truly we thank everybody for listening. You know, we can't thank them all enough. And, uh, Brad, you know, once again, thanks for coming out. I'm glad that you were uh, you were able to hold it together since obviously Carrie's absent. But I mean, that's typical this time of year. We expect that out of her. So I would be, I would have actually been surprised if we had seen her again this week. I mean, she's been showing up pretty regularly. She's not hiding out behind there anywhere listening to me, is she? Because I remember last time we were tearing, tearing her up a little bit. She she was uh, on speakerphone and she jumped in pretty quick there. So I'm just hoping maybe I'm just talking behind her back until she listens to this on Wednesday. If she listens. 
funny stuff. She uh, she did definitely want to be here, but she's taking care of our daughter right now. So you know you have that. I just want to thank Dave for coming on as well, Jeff. And you know the neat thing is, is I'm so blessed with such good friendships across you know across the country actually, and uh, it's really cool to to be able to share this with Dave tonight. And as you, as well as with you, Jeff, you know, this is a cool thing. I love doing the podcast. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, until next time, man, I, I look forward to it. Awesome. Well, Dave, if I don't talk to you between now and the end of the season, good luck. I hope you finish it out strong and and uh, shoot for that 55 now instead of that 54. That I know you can do better than that. <laughs> I hear you. And thank you for wishing that, Bobby. I, I'll, I'll take that double nickel any day. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, once again, everybody, thanks for listening to Backlash Podcast. We'll catch you all next Wednesday.